Chapter One, Part Four of Junior Classics, Volume Two: Folk Tales and Myths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. Junior Classics, Volume Two: Folk Tales and Myths by William Patton. Stories from the Northern Sagas, Part Four. How Thor Went to Jotunheim by A. and E. Carey Once on a time, Aesop, Thor, and Loki set out on a journey from Asgard to Jotunheim. They travelled in Thor's chariot, drawn by two milk-white goats. It was a somewhat cumbrous iron chariot, and the wheels made a rumbling noise as it moved, which sometimes startled the ladies of Asgard, and made them tremble. But Thor liked it, though the noise sweeter than any music, and was never so happy as when he was journeying in it from one place to another. They travelled all day, and in the evening they came to a countryman's house. It was a poor, lonely place, but Thor descended from his chariot, and determined to pass the night there. The countryman, however, had no food in his house to give these travellers, and Thor, who liked to feast himself and make every one feast with him, was obliged to kill his own two goats and serve them up for supper. He invited the countryman and his wife and children to sup with him, but before they began to eat he made one request of them. Do not on any account, he said, break or throw away any of the bones of the goats you are going to eat for supper. I wonder why, said the peasant's son, Tialfi, to his sister Roska. Roska could not think of any reason, and by and by Thialfi happened to have a very nice little bone given him with some marrow in it. Certainly there can be no harm in my breaking just this one, he said to himself. It would be such a pity to lose the marrow. And as Aesathor's head was turned another way, he slyly broke the bone in two, sucked the marrow, and then threw the pieces into the goat's skins, where Thor had desired that all the bones might be placed. I do not know whether Tialfi was uneasy during the night about what he had done, but in the morning he found out the reason of Aesathor's command, and received the lesson on wondering why, which he never forgot all his life after. As soon as Aesathor rose in the morning, he took his hammer, Mjolnir, in his hand, and held it over the goatskins as they lay on the floor, whispering runes the while. They were dead skins with dry bones on them when he began to speak. But as he said the last word, Thialfi, who was looking curiously on, saw two live goats spring up and walk towards the chariot, as fresh and well as when they brought the chariot up to the door, Thialfi hoped. But no, one of the goats limped a little with his hind leg, and Aesathor saw it. His brow grew dark as he looked, and for a minute Thialfi thought he would run far, far into the forest, and never come back again. But one look more at Aesathor's face, angry as it was, made him change his mind. He thought of a better thing to do than running away. He came forward, threw himself at the Aesa's feet, and confessing what he had done, begged pardon for his disobedience. Thor listened, and the displeased look passed away from his face. You have done wrong, Thialfi, he said, raising him up. But as you have confessed your fault so bravely, instead of punishing you, I will take you with me on my journey, and teach you myself the lesson of obedience to the Aesir, which is, I see, wanted. 
Roscoe chose to go with her brother, and from that day Thor had two faithful servants, who followed him wherever he went. The chariot and goats were now left behind, but, with Loki and his two new followers, Thor journeyed on to the end of Mannheim, over the sea, and then on, on, on in the strange, barren, misty land of Jotunheim. Sometimes they crossed great mountains. Sometimes they had to make their way among torn and rugged rocks, which often, through the mist, appeared to them to wear the forms of men, and once for a whole day they traversed a thick and tangled forest. In the evening of that day, being very much tired, they saw with pleasure that they had come upon a spacious hall, of which the door, as broad as the house itself, stood wide open. Here we may very comfortably lodge for the nights, said Thor, and they went in and looked about them. The house appeared to be perfectly empty. There was a white hall, and five smaller rooms opening into it. They were, however, too tired to examine it carefully, and as no inhabitants made their appearance, they ate their supper in the hall, and lay down to sleep. But they had not rested long before they were disturbed by strange noises, groanings, mutterings, and snortings, louder than any animal that had ever seen in their lives could make. By and by, the house began to shake from side to side, and it seemed as if the very earth trembled. Thor sprang up in haste, and ran to the open door, but, though he looked earnestly into the starlit forest, there was no enemy to be seen anywhere. Loki and Thialfi, after groping about for a time, found a sheltered chamber to the right, where they thought they could finish their night's rest in safety. But Thor, with Mjolnir in his hand, watched at the door of the house all night. As soon as the day dawned, he went out into the forest, and there, stretched on the ground close by the house, he saw a strange, uncouth, gigantic shape of a man, out of whose nostrils came a breath which swayed the trees to their very tops. There was no need to wonder any longer what the disturbing noises had been. Thor fearlessly walked up to the strange monster to have a better look at him, but at the sound of his footsteps the giant shape rose slowly, stood up an immense height, and looked down upon Thor with two great misty eyes, like blue mountain lakes. Who are you? said Thor, standing on tiptoe and stretching his neck to look up. And why do you make such a noise as to prevent your neighbors from sleeping? My name is Skrymir, said the giant sternly. I need not ask yours. You are the little Aza Thor of Asgard. But pray now, what have you done with my glove? As he spoke, he stooped down and picked up the hall where Thor and his companions had passed the night and which, in truth, was nothing more than his glove, the room where Loki and Thialfi had slept being the thumb. Thor rubbed his eyes, and felt as if he must be dreaming. Rousing himself, however, he raised Mjolnir in his hand, and, trying to keep his eyes fixed on the giant's face, which seemed to be always changing, he said, It is time that you should know, Skrymir, that I am come to Jotunheim to fight and conquer such evil giants as you are, and, little as you think me, I am ready to try my strength against yours. Try it, then, said the giant. And Thor, without another word, threw Mjolnir at his head. Ah, ah, said the giant, did a leaf touch me? Again Thor seized Mjolnir, which always returned to his hand, however far he cast it from him, 
and threw it with all his force. The giant put up his hand to his forehead. I think, he said, that an acorn must have fallen on my head. A third time Thor struck a blow, the heaviest that ever fell from the hand of an Asa, but this time the giant laughed out loud. There is surely a bird on that tree, he said, who has let a feather fall on my face. Then, without taking any further notice of Thor, he swung an immense wallet over his shoulder, and, turning his back upon him, struck into a path that led from the forest. When he had gone a little way, he looked round, his immense face appearing less like a human countenance than some strange, uncouthly shaped stone toppling on a mountain precipice. Ving Thor, he said, let me give you a piece of good advice before I go. When you get to Utgard, don't make much of yourself. You think me a tall man, but you have taller still to see, and you yourself are a very little mannequin. Turn back home, whence you came, and be satisfied to have learned something of yourself by your journey to Jotunheim. Mannequin or not, that I will never do, shouted Aza Thor after the giant. We will meet again, and something more we will learn or teach each other. The giant, however, did not turn back to answer, and Thor and his companions, after looking for some time after him, resumed their journey. But before the sun was quite high in the heavens, they came out of the forest, and at noon they found themselves on a vast barren plain, where stood a great city, whose walls of dark rough stone were so high that Thor had to bend his head quite far back to see the top of them. When they approached the entrance of the city, they found that the gates were closed and barred, but the space between the bars was so large that Thor passed through easily, and his companions followed him. The streets of the city were gloomy and still. They walked on for some time without meeting anyone, but at length they came to a very high building, of which the gates stood open. Let us go in and see what is going on here, said Thor, and they went. After crossing the threshold, they found themselves in an immense banqueting hall. A table stretched from one end to the other of it. Stone thrones stood round the table, and on every throne sat a giant, each one, as Thor glanced round, appearing more grim and cold and stony than the rest. One among them sat on a raised seat, and appeared to be the chief. So to him Thor approached, and paid his greetings. The giant chief just glanced at him, and, without rising, said, in a somewhat careless manner, it is, I think, a foolish custom to tease tired travellers with questions about their journey. I know without asking that you, little fellow, are Asa Thor. Perhaps, however, you may be in reality taller than you appear, and as it is a rule here that no one shall sit down to table till he has performed some wonderful feat, let us hear what you and your followers are famed for, and in what way you choose to prove yourselves worthy to sit down in the company of giants. At this speech, Loki, who had entered the hall cautiously behind Thor, pushed himself forward. The feat for which I am most famed, he said, is eating, and it is one which I am just now inclined to perform with right good will. Put food before me, and let me see if any of your followers can dispatch it as quickly as I can. The feat you speak of is one by no means to be despised, said the Utgard king. 
and there is one here who would be glad to try his powers against yours. Let Logi, he said to one of his followers, be summoned to the hall. At this, a tall, thin, yellow-faced man approached, and a large trough of meat having been placed in the middle of the hall, Loki sat to work at one end, and Logi at the other, and they began to eat. I hope I shall never see anyone eat as they ate, but the giants all turned their slow-moving eyes to watch them, and in a few minutes they met in the middle of the trough. It seemed, at first, as if they had both eaten exactly the same quantity, but when the thing came to be examined into, it was found that Loki had, indeed, eaten up all the meat, but that Logi had also eaten the bones and the trough. Then the giants nodded their huge heads, and determined that Loki was conquered. King Utgard now turned to Thialfi, and asked what he could do. I was thought swift of foot among the youth of my own country, answered Thialfi, and I will, if you please, try to run a race with any one here. You have chosen a noble sport indeed, said the king, but you must be a good runner if you could beat him with whom I shall match you. Then he called a slender lad, Hugi by name, and the whole company left the hall, and going out by an opposite gate to that by which Thor had entered, they came out to an open space, which made a noble race ground. There the goal was fixed, and Thialfi and Hugi started off together. Thialfi ran fast, fast as the reindeer which hears the wolves howling behind. But Hugi ran so much faster that, passing the goal, he turned round and met Thialfi halfway in the course. Try again, Thialfi, cried the king, and Thialfi, once more taking his place, flew along the course, with feet scarcely touching the ground swiftly as an eagle, when, from his mountain crag, he swoons on his prey in the valley. But with all his running, he was still a good bow shot from the goal when Hugi reached it. "'You are certainly a good runner,' said the king. "'But if you mean to win, you must do a little better still than this. But perhaps you wish to surprise us all the more this third time.' The third time, however, the Alfie was wearied, and though he did his best, Yugi, having reached the goal, turned and met him not far from the starting point. The giants again looked at each other, and declared that there was no need for further trial, for that Thialfi was conquered. It was now Aza Thor's turn, and all the company looked eagerly at him, while the Utgard king asked by what wonderful feat he chose to distinguish himself. I will try a drinking match with any of you, Thor said shortly, for, to tell the truth, he cared not to perform anything very worthy in the company in which he found himself. King Utgard appeared pleased with this choice, and when the giants had resumed their seats in the hall, he ordered one of his servants to bring in his drinking cup, called the Cup of Penance, which it was his custom to make his guests drain at a draught if they had broken any of the ancient rules of the society. There, he said, handing it to Thor, we call it well drunk if a person empties it at a single draught. Some, indeed, take two to it, but the very puniest can manage it in three. Thor looked into the cup. It appeared to him long, but not so very large after all, and being thirsty, he put it to his lips and thought to make short work of it 
and empty it at one good hearty pull. He drank and put the cup down again, but instead of being empty, it was now just so full that it could be moved without danger of spilling. Ha <laughs> ha! You are keeping all your strength for the second pull, I see, said Utgard, looking in. Without answering, Thor lifted the cup again, and drank with all his might till his breath failed. But when he put down the cup, the liquor had only sunk down a little from the brim. If you mean to take three draughts through it, said Utgard, you are really leaving yourself a very unfair share for the last time. Look to yourself, winged Thor, for if you do not acquit yourself better in other feats, we shall not think so much of you here as they say the Aesir do in Asgard. At this speech Thor fell angry, and, seizing the cup again, he drank a third time, deeper and longer than he had yet done. But when he looked into the cup, he saw that a very small part only of its contents had disappeared. Wearied and disappointed, he put the cup down, and said he would try no more to empty it. "'It is pretty plain,' said the king, looking round on the company, "'that Asa Thor is by no means the kind of man we always supposed him to be.' "'Nay,' said Thor, "'I am willing to try another feat, and you yourselves shall choose what it shall be.' "'Well,' said the king, "'there is a game at which our children are used to play.' A short time ago I dare not have named it to Aza Thor, but now I am curious to see how he will acquit himself in it. It is merely to lift my cat from the ground. A childish amusement truly. As he spoke, a large grey cat sprang into the hall, and Thor, stooping forward, put his hand under it to lift it up. He tried gently at first, but by degrees he put forth all his strength, tugging and straining as he had never done before. But the utmost he could do was to raise one of the cat's paws a little way from the ground. "'It is just as I thought,' said King Utgard, looking round with a smile. "'But we are all willing to allow that the cat is large, and Thor but a little fellow.' "'Little as you think me,' cried Thor, "'who is there who will dare to wrestle with me in my anger?' In truth, said the king, I don't think there is any one here who would choose to wrestle with you. But if wrestle you must, I will call in that old crone Ellie. She has, in her time, laid low many a better man than Azathor has shown himself to be. The crone came. She was old, withered, and toothless, and Thor shrank from the thought of wrestling with her. But he had no choice. She threw her arms round him and drew him toward the ground, and the harder he tried to free himself, the tighter grew her grasp. They struggled long. Thor strove bravely, but a strange feeling of weakness and weariness came over him, and at length he tottered and fell down on one knee before her. At this sight all the giants laughed aloud, and Utgard coming up desired the old woman to leave the hall, and proclaimed that the trials were over. No one of his followers would now contend with Asa Thor, he said, and night was approaching. He then invited Thor and his companions to sit down at the table and spend the night with him as his guests. Thor, though feeling somewhat perplexed and mortified, accepted his invitation courteously, and showed by his agreeable behaviour during the evening that he knew how to bear being conquered with a good grace. 
In the morning, when Thor and his companions were leaving the city, the king himself accompanied them without the gates. And Thor, looking steadily at him, when he turned to bid him farewell, perceived for the first time that he was the very same giant Skrymir with whom he had met in the forest. Come now, Aza Thor, said the giant with a strange sort of smile on his face. Tell me truly, before you go, how you think your journey has turned out, and whether or not I was right in saying that you would meet with better men than yourself in Jotunheim. I confess freely, answered Aza Thor, looking up without any false shame on his face, that I have acquitted myself but humbly, and it grieves me, for I know that in Jotunheim henceforth it will be said that I am a man of little worth. By my throat, no, cried the giant heartily. Never should you have come into my city if I had known what a mighty man of valor you really are. And now that you are safely out of it, I will, for once, tell the truth to you, Thor. All this time I have been deceiving you by my enchantments. When you met me in the forest and hurled Mjolnir at my head, I should have been crushed by the weight of your blows, had I not skillfully placed a mountain between myself and you, on which the strokes of your hammer fell, and where you cleft three deep ravines, which shall henceforth become verdant valleys. In the same manner I deceived you about the contests in which you engaged last night. When Loki and Logi sat down before the trough, Loki, indeed, ate like hunger itself. But Logi is fire, who, with eager, consuming tongue, licked up both bones and trough. Thialfi is the swiftest of mortal runners, but the slender lad, Hugi, was my thought, and what speed can never equal his? So it was in your own trials. When you took such deep draughts from the horn, you little knew what a wonderful feat you were performing. The other end of that horn reached the ocean, and when you come to the shore you will see how far its waters have fallen away, and how much the deep sea itself has been diminished by your draught. Hereafter, men watching the going out of the tide will call it the ebb, or a draught of Thor. Scarcely less wonderful was the prowess you displayed in the second trial. What appeared to you to be a cat was, in reality, the Midgard serpent which encircles the world. When we saw you succeed in moving it, we trembled lest the very foundations of earth and seas should be shaken by your strength. Nor need you be ashamed of having been overthrown by the old woman Ellie, for she is old age, and there never has, and never will be, one whom she has not the power to lay low. We must now part, and you had better not come here again, or attempt anything further against my city, for I shall always defend it by fresh enchantments, and you will never be able to do anything against me. At these words, Thor raised Mjolnir, and was about to challenge the giant to a fresh trial of strength. But before he could speak, Utgard vanished from his sight, and turning round to look for the city, he found that it too had disappeared, and that he was standing alone on a smooth, green, empty plain. What a fool I have been, said Azathor aloud, to allow myself to be deceived by a mountain giant. Ah, answered a voice from above, I told you, you would learn to know yourself better by your journey to Jotunheim. It is the great use of travelling. Thor turned quickly round again, thinking to see Skrymir behind him, but after looking on every side he could perceive nothing but that a high, cloud-capped mountain, 
which she had noticed on the horizon, appeared to have advanced to the edge of the plain. End of chapter 1, part 4 Recording by phone